men and women are foregoing the 9 to 5 jobs introduced during the industrial age as they embrace new technologies within the digital revolution. And these two chaps are here to help. Welcome to the Powerful Nonsense Podcast, the show about mindfulness and entrepreneurship in the digital economy. With your hosts, Wayne Ingram and Jem Yildiz. So Jem's told me I can't be quite so crazy in my intros. No, it's hurting your little ears. It was just the one. We had to reset this intro because Wayne went very loudly hello and I thought, well, well no, it was no. more of a... The reason we reset was because it didn't actually record. That's the reason we reset. Yeah. And then you were like, yeah, don't be serious. I was like, he did, he did like a howdy how, but it would have it would have blown you. I saved I, I, I That's what I did. <laughs> I saved your ears, guys. And girls. <laughs> Bitching aside. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Powerful Nonsense. Welcome back. It is great to be back. <laughs> Wayne, do you we know where you recorded an episode like ten minutes ago? Do you know where you are, Wayne? <laughs> uh, yes. Good. Just about. I'm in the palatial Powerful Nonsense studio. It sounds really cool, but it's really not. Powerful Nonsense HQ. <laughs> Head office. <laughs> My bedroom. So, we're back. Uh, I am going to throw a brand new question at Jem today. Sounds fun. Because I think, you know, shake things up a little. So I want to know, Jem, if there is anything, any lesson that you have learnt recently. Lessons. I always learn lessons every day. But okay, we'll share one. Um, <laughs> as you can tell, I, I remember all these lessons. <laughs> no, actually, one thing that actually popped up for me this week, well, last week, actually, because I was away in Budapest, which was lovely, lovely place to visit. Um, I realised that whenever I'm on a plane, which is not my favourite thing to be doing, it seems like my brain just is like unloading on ideas. And I don't know whether that's because my brain's saying, well, Jim, you're probably going to die on this plane, so you might as well get out all those things you wanted to do and the thoughts and those ideas. And it just seems that when I'm shitting myself... <laughs> it seems like my brain just goes into kind of like this sort of... Harmony mode. It's kind of I'm I'm in fear, but at the same time I'm feeling really creative. So um, I don't know whether that's uh, something that people can incorporate into their lives. Put yourself in a really scary situation. <laughs> I'm sorry, the shitting myself is just killing me. I'm getting over it though. I've noticed that the more the more I can get comfortable with flying, the less I'm in in total fear, which oh. is good. So embrace your fears, fly. But yeah, there's got to be something there. The fact that when you're kind of in a scared or, I don't know, that sort of anxiety situation, sometimes you get a lot of clarity and a lot yeah, of sort maybe, of ideas. Maybe your body kind of goes into fight or flight mode um, in a way. And so you're firing on all cylinders, maybe. Potentially. I am grateful that this happens when you're on an airplane, though. It means you can't send me a shit ton of texts. <laughs> being like, so we should do this, we should do that, we should do this. I'll be well, like, oh my God. Well, as soon as I land and get to the hotel with Wi-Fi, I'm like, Wayne, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway anyway good question thanks maybe I'll ask you something next time uh, yeah maybe so today we are going to talk some cold hard truths about the fact that some of you might be unemployed yeah and if that was too quiet you said the cold hard truths that some people not are unemployed waveforms great beautiful but yeah <laughs> before we talk about um, like unemployment today obviously mm-hmm. a lot of what the show is is always about we talk a lot about entrepreneurship and um, today we thought we'd kind of touch on this point about unemployment because I think a lot of the time it kind of does relate to um, 
being an entrepreneur in some senses mm-hmm. because I think a lot of time when people are unemployed, maybe they've lost their job or they've um, they can't find a job, and maybe sometimes when you're unemployed, the thing that crosses your mind is, oh, maybe I'll, I'll start my business. But then there's a lot of um, reasons why people are unemployed, and I think today we're just going to touch on. A few points, and I think these are really cold, hard truths. And I needed when I came out of university, I definitely had to. I wish I listened to this what this episode is going to be when I left university because mm-hmm. I was definitely suffering with a lot of the the syndromes that <laughs> that we're going to talk about and the problems. And um, yeah, so should we should we jump straight in? Or? Yeah, I think. Well, actually, I think based on what you've just said, I think a really good starting point is this thought of entitlement because I think particularly when students come out of university. Not so much now, because I think everybody's kind of accepted the fact that when you come out of uni, that's where the real tough bit comes. Which is another thing we're going to talk about. another thing we're going to talk about. But um, a lot of students will often come out of uni and be like, well, I've got a degree now. Here we go. Where's my job? I wave your degree at people. Yeah, like, I am qualified. I was so, so guilty of this when I left university. And I think... Massively, and you kind of like you go through university, and again, you're kind of told though, like, look, do the best you can do. The jobs are out there for the best graduates, and so for me, I got a first class degree, which was great. And I was thinking, yes, I must be top of the pile now. Mm-hmm. There's not you hear all the percentage about people that get that. So I was thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm like the cream of the crop in the field that I'm in, and um, so for, so I went into the kind of working well thing. Okay, so all right, guys, throw the jobs at me. Tell me what you want me to do. Which one of you wants me? And then I kind. Of landed on my ass when it was like nobody wants you <laughs> because do you know what there's a lot of other people that already have that as well or the fact that um, even my degree itself which was a media production degree was kind of frowned upon and you kind of forgot I totally dismissed that stigma and I thought mm-hmm. no come on people aren't going to be because it's a media degree they're going to kind of like that's it think well that was an easy degree it's easily mm-hmm. done I'm like well I put in a lot of hard work and when I came out as I say had that first class degree put it on the CV and you're kind of thinking doors should open for me and it was <laughs> totally the opposite as I say I, I say to people all the time I went from my parents at my graduation like all happy you're holding you're wearing your nice gown and you've got your degree in your hand and you, you're smiling in the picture thinking yep here we go did the, did the thing this I was meant the to do this is the rest of my life exactly and I think it was about two weeks later I was sitting in the job centre <laughs> <laughs> wait and I was waiting to be signed on to kind of get your little whatever 50 pound or whatever it is a week and I was just like how how did this happen and I think a lot of it came through my lack of being prepared really mm-hmm. it was my my thinking of actually I don't have to do anything I don't have to put any foundations down before I leave university and actually when I pop out then it's going to be the, the people going to be waving hey my door's open loads yeah. of doors open for me waiting for me it's almost like you, you finish your degree you walk out your graduation ceremony you're expecting like you know how like at the airport you've got the taxi drivers with <laughs> yeah, the yeah, sign yeah. going jam yodis I think I was I think I was hoping for that <laughs> and it just didn't come here's your job over here so yeah I think that's a massive thing as well but I think like you say, I think maybe that that might be changing a little bit. I think people know. I mm-hmm. think obviously there's a lot of news being put out there about all the different t- t- statistics, and you kind of realise well if there's 150 people on my course, there's a lot of universities, so there's mm-hmm. probably a lot more people, and then you've got people from all over the world who have got the same degrees. And yeah, I think entitlement is definitely one of those things that is mm-hmm. is a bit of a kick in the butt. And I think the quicker you can get over that, the quicker you can move on to doing things mm-hmm. that actually are going to maybe lead you into that job. And you've just set up a perfect little segue for me. What was that? You're saying about the fact that people now see, like, on the news and stuff, the fact that, you know, there's not enough jobs out there for graduates and stuff, but people are often using that as a massive sort of, not so much excuse, but almost justification for 
um, not being in the sort of job that they want to be in or generally being uh-huh. unemployed and things like that. Um, and there's this, this cognitive bias which is happening where you go, well, there's no work out there. Um, I know I'm guilty of it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um I think everybody is. Uh, to those that don't know what cognitive bias is, it's um, this sort of reinforcement, self-reinforcement of a beliefs. Bit of, yeah, a bit of information you've received, and then you basically, if someone says, well, <laughs> for example, people say, white people can't jump, and then suddenly, <laughs> that, and you reinforce, <laughs> I don't know why that came to me as an example. <laughs> I, I am a white person myself, but they, they, that's what I'm saying. It's one of those things that people put out there as a sort of stigma, as a, like, a stereotype, mm-hmm. and basically you reinforce that stereotype, and it kind mm-hmm. of you just believe it. Yeah, I know maybe the example wasn't as good as it could have been, but it's that it's reinforcing a stereotype. Mm-hmm. And so, in the example of unemployment, it's like, well, if I've read in every single paper that it takes that most. Um, you see, I think the main thing they were sort of sharing is pictures of like graduates of first class degrees working in coffee shops, and uh-huh. that's the jobs they get. And there's a hundred people competing for the one job. And I think the element there of their cognitive bias is just saying, well, I might as well take what I can get because yeah. it's very unlikely that if, if that person's got a, a doctorate and they're working in Costa, then what am I going to do with my media right. production degree? <laughs> so, so, as an example, if you use that as an example, so you see in the news um, an, an article or a report about the fact that people with first class degrees are working in Costa or Cafe Nero or whatever. Um, good coffee shops. Good coffee shops. <laughs> um, and so then what happens is because you've read that article or consumed that media, you then start paying attention to all of the people that you know with first class, de- class degrees that are in similar situations. Not necessarily working in coffee shops, but certainly not working in what you would consider degree level work. Uh, but then you start ignoring the examples of people with first class degrees that are actually in really good positions um, and you start, start going well all people everybody I know with a first class degree is working in a coffee shop or whatever and you, you just don't you kind of ignore the other the other side of it and you kind of justify to yourself the fact that because you've got a first class degree you're going to have to start in a job in a coffee shop or something mm-hmm. like that and work your way up from there and it's just simply not true yeah, no, definitely. I think it's kind of, I wrote a blog post about this a while back, it's kind of like that get out of jail free card really, it's kind of like, it, it lets you off the hook really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, I want to talk about as well, um, skills. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that, uh, I th- we seem to be going down this avenue of graduates, I think it's a good place to go. Mm-hmm. And I think actually, um, there's a lot of, uh, argument to say that actually part of the problem is you're not continually developing your skills and you have gone into a mode of complacency mm-hmm. uh, which we talked about in last week's episode um, fear versus complacency and so you're coming out of uni and you're going well I'm, I've studied I've got my degree, I'm trained uh, I'm ready like pick me Like, why aren't you picking me? I'm ready I've got my first class degree, I'm good enough um, and I think there is an element with people where, again, it kind of comes to that entitlement thing again. It's that I've got my qualification, therefore I don't need to work on my skills, I don't need to develop myself and everything else. But you always have to remember there's always going to be somebody out there that's just going to push that a little bit harder than you. Always. No matter how hard you push, there's always going to be that one person that just pushes that little further. 
Well, I think um, Seth Godin put it perfectly, and he said um, expertise is a saturated market. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the truth of it. At the end of the day, if, if you've done the degree, you've done it in the same way as everybody else, the expertise is the same level as everybody else. And I think the thing is as well, I think the danger as well is that a lot of the time people do degrees out of the fact that they're already looking at, I mean, I've done a blog post on that as well. It's kind of like a lot of people Google the salary of the degree they want to do before they do it. And that's like... Oh. It's true, though. It's it the is. truth. It's scary, but it's the truth. And so people kind of look at that and they do their degree and then they come out and say, okay, I want to be on that salary. But I think it misses the point. And if we say that expertise is saturated, then the actual thing that really counts is like, I know it's an overused word again, it's that passion. It's kind of like mm. the person who loves the thing they're doing is going to win hands down every time. And it was it was funny, actually, because my uh, my sister, my little sister's unemployed at the moment and she's looking for work and she's been applying for lots of jobs and she was saying to me like I can't believe I can't get a job as a receptionist and I was just saying to her the difference is that it's probably you're competing against somebody who who actually loves being a receptionist has loads of experience doing it is actually super passionate about like being a receptionist Mm -hmm. and so for her to come in and be saying well I just want to get a receptionist role just because I want to cover my bills I just want to do it for the for the time being I think in that sense she's kind of like how does somebody who's just doing it because they're thinking, I just want to cover my bills, I just want to um, have the money, I just want to have a job, how does that person compete with someone who actually really fucking loves the role? And I think that shows in your CV, that shows in the effort you put in to kind of maybe put your foot in the door or to network with that company or to just to go that extra mile. And I think that's the problem. A lot of people who are probably unemployed, it's because they are going in there because they say, well, I want a job. It's not saying, I really want to do this. Mm-hmm. And I think... And I think that's another point about it. I think it's a lot of the time underneath it, there's that sort of, that sort of um, your body or your brain or whatever it might be, the universe might be protecting you and saying, you're applying for this job, but I'm not going to make you go all in on it because I know it's not what you really want to do. And I think that's something that people need to really consider because I think... It, it comes across whether you know or not and you you've made a great point I think it was uh, last week you were saying you were we were talking about um you've been doing some voice coaching and you were talking about there's so many different ways to say a certain word so you can say mm-hmm. thank you in a hundred different ways and I think or, or then you also made the point about um you and your friend who were kind of like um uh, saying the same sentence but thinking about different people mm-hmm. and I think you can tell that and you can tell the sincerity underneath what you're doing and what you're saying and so even though you think you're writing that CV with the, the the effort of getting the job I think underneath there if you generally don't want it and you are doing it simply for the money and you are thinking well I just need a job I think there's this massive massive undertone of I don't know whether it comes from the paper whether it comes from the effort whether you get into that interview room and that person can just see straight through you and think mm-hmm. you don't fucking want this job yeah you've got all the skills but <laughs> I think people are getting better at seeing that. And so, and I think like a lot of people say, like um, a lot of an interview comes down to um, the personality. It's kind of like, does that person see in you that you fucking love this job? Like you mm-hmm. cannot believe how much you want it. Like it, it just feels like if you don't have this job, you don't know what you're going to do next. Well, that's why they always ask that question. Why do you want to work here? Because if when you're preparing for your interview, you know they're going to ask you that question. And if the first thing that comes into your head is, well, I need the money. Which I think you're trained probably never to say. Right. Then you know you're going for a job that's pointless for you to go for. It's not going to develop you. It's just going to pay your bills. And, okay, yes, sometimes that is a necessity. If you are really... And I'm going to go on the flip side in a minute. If you are really in 
a dire situation and you need to pay those bills, then sometimes, yes, you are going to have to go for a job that is like, well, I just need the money. However, um, I think there should be um, plenty of alternatives that come first. That should really be your last port of call, is the, I really need the money. Because sometimes you can actually get further on a lot less than you think, if you're actually clever with your money. But that's another topic entirely. On the flip side, I think there is a massive problem with people being really far too picky of the sort of work that they want to do. If they are in a situation where... Technical blip. Um, <laughs> if you are in a situation where um, you are desperate for work, you you have tried every other avenue of all the stuff that you want to do and you're not getting anywhere then you come to the point of okay now I'm desperate when you have a look at the work and whatever work you like I need to get whatever work I can get to pay the bills you'll often come to a a point where you're looking at work and you'll be like I'm not doing that and it comes back to this entitlement yes okay you may be overqualified yes okay you may not be passionate but if you're coming from a place of unemployment you've tried every other avenue for uh, avenue of passion when you start getting to that point and you're you're throwing stuff out just because you don't want to do it I think that's also a bit of a dangerous territory to be in as well what do you think? well I think I think really like when you're saying about like be, uh, some people being picky I think I think being picky is actually a good thing but I think sometimes you can like you say you can hold off going for jobs because you think well that's that I'm well overqualified for that but I think the best thing that I think if you are someone who's unemployed is know what you want to do and maybe that job you're applying for is just a step towards that and I think right. when you know that the job you're doing it's like you say you've got your your um, hotel job working on reception but in the bigger picture it's part of you becoming an actor mm -hmm. so it is part of the process and I think a lot of time if you detach that away from it then that will still give you passion for that job because you need that job on the side or whatever just cover the bits and pieces mm -hmm. because you know it leads to the thing you want to you want to be going for mm -hmm. and I think maybe a lot of the time people are just not really sure what the next step is after and so they don't want to take anything uh -huh. and I and I always say to my little sister I'm just like when you when you totally don't know to be honest I, I've been there's this question that um uh, Philip, um, yeah, Philip McKernan was saying, and it's it's a great way of rephrasing the question because I think a lot of the time when people are unemployed, and me myself, and it's happened a lot of time, is a lot of people say to themselves, "Well, I, I don't know what I want to do," and when you mm -hmm. don't know what you want to do, you can't put energy or effort or you can't, yeah, you can't push energy into that thing that you want to do. And I think a lot of the time, a good question, a good way of rephrasing it when you when you keep saying to yourself, "I don't know what I want to do," is saying, "Well." is to ask yourself if I did know what I wanted to do what would it be and I think it's, it's a really interesting thing because actually it kind of it's, it's very strange to say but when you do it like that if you have someone ask you if you did know what you wanted to do what would it be underneath there underneath everything underneath all these layers all these sort of um, preconception there is that question will be answered and there will always be that something that you want to do and it might be like well if I did know it'd probably be something along this line and it usually I mean, I, I, I went to a, a talk with Philip McKernan and I was incredibly incredibly surprised how much that actually opened people up. It might not sound right now, but if someone quizzes you in that way and reframes a question, it actually, you suddenly start to speak and you actually say the thing because it kind of lets you off the hook. It's not saying, what do you want to do? It's saying, if you did know what you wanted to do, what would it be? 
And I know it's quite I, interesting I how it works. Yeah, yeah. I know you're looking. You're looking pretty no, puzzled. I it, no, I'm just connecting it to something I heard in a, another podcast uh, the other day, and it is all about reframing that question. Um, it's called the the thing I'm linking it to is like the trolley dilemma. Have you heard this one? No. So the trolley dilemma, just basic breakdown. I'll try and be quick with it. But basically, the trolley dilemma is you're on the side of a, a rail track. There's a trolley coming down the rail track. There are five workers working on one track, and you cannot stop this trolley. So if it goes down the one track, it's going to kill these five people. Or you're, you're stood at the switch. You can turn it onto another track where there's one guy working on there. So if you switch it onto the other track, it will kill one person. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Most people will say, well, somebody's going to die regardless. Mm-hmm. So surely it's better to switch it onto the, mm-hmm. the one guy. But if you reframe the question to, you are on a bridge and the trolley's going down, it's head, like heading towards these five people. There's a fat guy stood on top of this bridge. If you push him over, you'll, you'll kill him, push him onto the track, you'll kill him, but you'll save these five people. What do you do? Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, the whole thing changes. Because it's like, well, you should do nothing, surely, because you, know, you can't kill this one... You can't just cold-heartedly kill this one guy to save these five people because and and the the difference is is you've changed your position in the scenario mm-hmm. you've you're not clinically turning a switch you're actively killing someone mm-hmm. um and so it's just reframing the question the scenario is essentially the same no, you're condemning one person exactly to death it. either way um but with this scenario you're not saying what do you want to what do you want to do it's like, okay, looking from the outside, no emotion attached. From a logical perspective, how d- if you did know what you wanted to do, from a logical perspective, what do you think it would be? And then you suddenly go, well, I'm interested in these sorts of things, I'm interested in that sort of thing. I know that if I hadn't discovered acting, um, that if I... I would have gone into tech. I know for a fact. If I hadn't discovered acting, I would have gone into tech. I don't want to go into tech... Um, I don't really have much of a desire to do it because I want to be an actor and that's the be-all and end-all. But it's that same framework. Um, yeah, so I think there's a lot of room to really reframe when you are in that position of, of looking for work. It is reframing, you know, what are your interests? What do you spend your time doing when you're not working? And how can you turn that into your career? Yeah, definitely. And I think, well, I, there was another... Uh, Tim Ferriss said about this in the military thing that they did as well and how they sort of reframe questions with um, when they're trying to grade uh, different officers and stuff like that. Like, I'm really good at this, but... Like, I'm really good at a certain thing, but... And that but allows you to make the thing that you wouldn't say about... you. I think it was a way that um, comrades were kind of reviewing each other. Right. So Wayne is very good at acting, but... And then you have to fill in the last bit. And because that but gives you an opportunity, you've already complimented him, but that uh-huh. but allows you to say something, not negative, but gives you feedback on him. Because usually you say, what do you think of Wayne? Oh, yeah, I think he's a really great person. He's good at acting. But you have to answer the question with the but. And so the but kind of... So could you give me an example? I'm slightly confused. Maybe it's a crap example to give. But like, no, no, no. So, because... I kind of I think I know what you're saying but it's again just just, just adding the word but so what, in there so, opens you up to a new okay so what so let's say you uh, Wayne's good at acting but what would you <laughs> but um, um, but maybe he uh, he doesn't spend as much time as he could on applying for roles okay something right. like that and so the but I'm not being a face great actor yeah, yeah. but maybe he doesn't do the X Oh and right. So, so he's great at this, but he could improve because of this. Yeah, and that's what they do because they they know that if I said, okay, tell me something bad that Wayne does or that you don't like about Wayne, I'm not going to say it. 
because you don't want to be offensive to Wayne. Right. But if you then say... It's like the shit sandwich. Kind of. It, it, was, it was a reviewing process that um, uh, Tim Ferriss was saying, that they were this guy on Tim Ferriss' episode was sort of saying how they review people. Right. But anyway, don't want to, but it's just, again, it goes back to that reframing. I think sometimes just changing little wordings here or there mm-hmm. kind of um, yeah, splits things up on where you... Or, or, it helps you to kind of figure out what you want to be doing. Mm-hmm. I think we need to touch on personal brand as well. Yes. Um, because it's a real buzzword and it's really cliche, but I think it is really important you kind of touched on the fact that the interview process is so much about personality now and actually I think it's getting beyond just being about personality because now when you're called in for an interview for a job or whatever quite often they'll do a search of you particularly if you are going for sort of degree level stuff Mm -hmm. they'll do a search they'll find out anything they can off your social media profiles that look for a website quite often if you haven't got a website well that's a that's a big no-no yeah I remember when I first came out and um, the job I got out of uni (laughs) sorry (laughs) out of uni um, (laughs) yeah when I came out of uni um, I remember part of me getting the job I remember the interviewer said that they were just so excited and happy that I had a website and it linked to stuff that I'd done and I think nowadays that's just a must Uh and it kind of they want to know that okay you're applying for this job but how much how much interest do you already have in this subject offline which you would just do off your own back and I think mm-hmm. like us talking about entrepreneurship or mindset and stuff like that what if I did go for a job in the future and say wow he's really passionate about this subject here and he's applied for a role that is around these sort of concepts and he's already talking about his stuff without it being his so-called job and I think that's what people are looking for I think it's that little edge now it's like as you say like um, degree is just all these grades and everything else it's just like okay that's standard procedure mm-hmm. but it's like what's the extra mile bit you're going how does it really show that you're interested and I think with so many choices in applicants that people have nowadays it's like if you're not going that extra mile then you're just yeah it's just you're right off really because there'll always be those people that go way deeper into mm-hmm. it than you'll ever even go mm-hmm. and they're obviously going to be people that's going to stand out yeah it's, it's kind of goes back to that purple cow thing a little bit oh it's exactly the purple your cow your personal really. brand itself let alone the product that you're creating your personal brand itself really has to be a purple cow um, you have to have a decent website you have to be present on social media and any other networks that are linked to whatever your industry is you have to get involved it's becoming it, it, there's no doubt no question as far as I'm concerned when you look at that aspect alone there is absolutely no question whatsoever that the whole world's going down a self-employed route because it has to it is, seems to be the next logical step if if your own website is becoming a factor in your in the interview process then you have to take that website to the next level and if you don't you're going to fall to the bottom of the pile and how do you take that website to the next level well you kind of got to do your own work and i think that's that's the that's part of the process though and i think because when you're self-employed you have to take accountability for where you're at i think a business like being an employee has been a very safe place to be all the time you didn't have to develop yourself any further you became like seth godin says you become the cog you do your role and you go home and i think that transition to seeing yourself we they talk about the entrepreneur and the being always keeping that self-employed or entrepreneurial mentality when you're in the job is vital is critical nowadays and i know employers look for that and because you've now taken accountability for what you as the service you as the 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 product in a way it forces you to have to keep growing and i think that's why it's going down a self-employed route because the person who's self-employed doing something has to have a lot of passion for it so they keep growing keep learning keep adding to their skills Mm -hmm. and i think yeah that that's just like, like a must nowadays yeah 
and I think it kind of brings it all kind of full circle in a way kind of back to what this podcast is about pretty much you know you can go and look to be employed or you can just continue pursuing your passion anyway and try and turn that into a money-making business okay granted initially you might not be able to pay all of your bills with that so you are still going to need uh, the day job but at least marry the two where you can so there we have it some cold hard truths yeah and I think we're trying I think with this episode it's not kind of like a dig at people who are unemployed and trying to say well you're unemployed it's your own fault I think it's just uh, flipping things on its head and kind of looking at things at a different angle I think as I said at the beginning we've, we've been through this ourselves I had all these kind of issues with entitlement um, not knowing whether I, I really wanted to do the thing I was doing um, not con- constantly honing my skills and I think it's so important nowadays like we said with the previous episodes like Purple Cow how to stand out how to not be complacent these are kind of traits nowadays that are vital for you to stay ahead there is more competition but that doesn't mean but there's also a lot more opportunity and a lot more to connect with the people and do the work that you actually want to do and and a lot of the time like we say if you're unemployed and you're, you're not passionate about um, the, the jobs you're trying to pursue or the careers you're trying to get into who knows that could be a warning sign that maybe you do want to go off and pursue something that's your passion maybe you do want to start a business on the side maybe maybe that's what's for you and so I think yeah it all comes down to just questioning why you're doing something and and you'll get you will as I, as I say with everybody or everyone I speak to, when you're doing something from the heart and you actually really, really want to do it, the energy is going to be there and people are just going to be attracted to you. The opportunities are going to crop up and then, and that, that's it. It will work out for you, really. Yeah. So we're not trying to not trying to have a dig, just trying to reframe things in your mind. Um, also, we have a little cheat sheet on our website, which I think is kind of relevant for this episode, yep. uh, which is talking about the future of work and how in 10 years time your current employment might be obsolete anyway uh, so if you want to have a look at that it's got some stats and things from good sources mm-hmm. um, head on over to powerfulnonsense.com it's on the homepage. just click the download now button enter email address and we'll send that straight over to you so yeah. you can have a look I think for a lot of people just looking at some of the stats we pulled together and where we believe that things are heading I think it'll be a massive eye opener and I mm-hmm. think it's really, really important. Like the sooner you can know where things are heading, the sooner you can kind of start adapting your course. And I think sometimes a lot of the time in um, society, when things aren't flowing as well, it's because there's a sort of break in the equilibrium of things. It's there's things are changing. There's a difficulty because it no longer works, and so it needs that adaptability. And that's what we talk about in the podcast. We're just trying to say, well. This is where we think things are heading and we can feel those little rumbles in the current system and maybe we can veer you in a direction that leads you to actually doing more fulfilling work and actually it's work that's actually going to be available. Absolutely. So, that's all we have time for this week. Thanks for listening. Leave those iTunes reviews, they really help. And check out that cheat sheet. So, until next time, stay powerful, don't talk nonsense. (laughs) Good stuff. Thanks. See you later. See ya.